0: Amen. We said that as we've been going through Luke, that it's a book that is waking us up. That the idea is that the world is cold and dead and stale and God wants to do a new work. He wants to do a new work in the world. He wants to do a new work in your life. And what we need to do is to be stimulated, to wake up, if you would, And to bear fruit was the objective. We've been looking the last three, four weeks at the parable of the sower, where the seed is sown, it's planted. And as a guy walking around with a bag of seed, he's throwing it this way, that way, and every way. And he's saying some of the seed, it doesn't bear forth fruit. It's snatched up quickly because it lies on the road. And it's like the enemy that just comes in. Satan comes in and blinds people so they have no idea what they want to do. People that would prefer to the pigs than Jesus. And then we saw that there was some seed that, is 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 sown but it's planted and it sprouts up quickly but it dies because it doesn't have any root. And we saw that there was other seed that has to be planted and it grows, but it's choked out by the weeds of life, the cares of this world, the riches of this world that take us away from spirituality. And so finally we can see that there is a group that bears fruit. It's successful. And it bears a hundredfold of a seed that was planted and it's worth it because it's producing fruit. And the, and the thing that was laid at our feet was that we as Christians must bear fruit. And it's not just, a matter of getting other people saved, which is always good, but it's a matter of, of, of producing love, producing uh, a joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, that we'd have these qualities in our life and we'd make the world a better place as a Christian. And so we have to have our, 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 our fruit that we can bear for the kingdom. And really what Jesus is now tackling, he's going to really answer the question, well, how does this happen? How do we bear fruit for God? It's not just some ambiguous term that doesn't mean anything. We're looking at some nuts and bolts here of things that are very important to us. Jesus is going to say say there's some very important things that need to happen in a believer's life and he wants to show us the heart and soul of what it is to be a Christian if you would and so it's interesting just by way of reminder we'll pick up in verse 23 where we left off and Jesus really gives us a a very strong message we ended last week's message with it but Jesus was saying to them all he says if anyone desires to come after me let him deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me and he explains that by saying for whoever desires to save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And so if you would Jesus is giving us the principle, you have to in order to go up you got to go down. In order to go to the east you got to go to the west. You have to be willing to go the opposite direction in the in the things that you would like to do. You have to lose your life, your desire to take care of yourself, you have to let go of it. You have to you have to deny yourself. You have to pick up your cross and die a death in order to find life. That's bizarre. But that's the way that we can enjoy, have peace of God and enjoy the things that we have is to let go. He says, for what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world? You got it all and yet he himself is destroyed or lost. you want to be the richest man in the world and burn in hell for forever? It's a losing proposition. The world wants to slumber. It wants to sleep. It wants to be wasted away in Margaritaville. It wants to be a a, a slumbering and in the things that it wants and God is challenging us to say, wake up, get rid of the things that you have been deceived by, the things that you've been tricked by and realize that true life is letting go of all of these things. He says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my word, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory, in his fathers and of the holy angels and so judgment day standing before the lord is to turn around and to say lord i want to profess you now beautiful to see the baptism last week beautiful to see people standing up and professing jesus christ it's awesome to see how god can move and to touch and so on there and and if we if we're not ashamed of him he won't be ashamed of us but if we can't even profess Christ, in the the middle of a crisis, to own up to Him as our Lord, forget Him taking responsibility for you on Judgment Day. That's a strong mandate. Jesus is showing us the things that He's asking us, and He wants to put it into the here and now. Notice what He says in verse 27, but I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death, until they see the kingdom of God. So what Jesus has got to do, he's going to say, look, you need to have something tangible that you can see. I'm going to demonstrate to you The power of the Spirit. It's not going to be just in the sweet by and by. When you die, you go up to the sky and see Jesus and everything will be fine. I'm always amazed at people, and people do, they want to separate the life that they live with their spirituality, their Christianity. Oh, you know, don't give me that Jesus stuff. That's just good for when I die. That's just my... Fire insurance, as they say, uh, 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 you know that Jesus stuff is real good for 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 Judgment Day, but I got real problems. The here and the now, I I have to struggle with paying bills, and you know what? Sometimes I have to lie, cheat, and steal in order to get ahead in this world. But that's the way it done is done. And that Jesus stuff, that's just for when you're dead. The world wants to separate that all the time, and what happens is you see that Jesus is is working to 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 blend them together. He wants us to understand that the the thing that uh, are said for our future going to heaven should affect the things that are happening in our life in the here and now. He wants us to be able to take very tangible things in our life and apply Christ into them so that we're changed people. We live a different life. And what is he saying? He's saying this isn't some sweet by and by. No, you're not going to die. I want to show you something right in front of your face that you're not going to miss. And what he's going to do he's going to take them up on the mountain and he's going to show them true spirituality in a very real way. He says that some are standing here it's not those are not going to taste death until they see the kingdom of God. I'm going to show you God's kingdom here and now. Powerful. I'd like to see this. So it says verse 28 Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings. So this was Immediately. This was quickly. And I like that. I, I like what it says in Isaiah. It says, uh, when the Lord says, and I'm going to work quickly as a hired man counts the days. And you think of a guy, every employee can count his, count his, his, his hours. You ask you know, him, says, how much does the boss owe you? He owes me for 42 and a half hours. People don't miss those, you know, counting those days. And when, when Jesus says, hey, I'm telling you, it's going to happen. Here it is. Eight days later, you're not going to die. I'm showing you something. It came to pass eight days after these sayings that he took Who? Peter, John, and James. His three closest disciples, if you would. The same three guys that he took in a few weeks ago to show... Uh, the resurrection of this girl that was dead and he brought back to life. And he turns around and he took Peter, John, and James and he went up to the mountain to do what? To pray. Very important. And as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered. I'm not sure what that means. Here he is. Something's changing in him. It's not the same face of Jesus. And his robe became white and glistening. And all of a sudden you're seeing where Jesus is just being transfigured. And I like this. I always got to chuckle because if you read the Gospel of Mark, he throws in this little line. He says that his robes were were glistening and they were whiter than any wanderer could ever get them. And I would go, you know, but Jesus is like, oh, he's glowing, right? And you can see his his radiance shining. And it's almost like Mark's like saying, where do you get your clothes washed? Like, what kind of detergent do you use, buddy? Hi, hey, shout it out. No. <laughs> and you go, and you go, what Jesus is doing, it's really cool. He's taking the zipper, like, you know, in the back of his head and he's unzipping his flesh and all of a sudden he's starting to say, I don't want you to look at my flesh. I want you to see the spirit inside. I want you to see what really matters makes me tick. When uh, Josh and I were at the uh, pastor's conference, uh, we picked up a phrase from uh, uh, these guys from Kentucky and they were saying, well, we're going to go eat. We have to go feed our man suit. And I kind of like that, you know, it's, it's the idea that, that our flesh is is, is a suit, it's a clothing, it's a, and, and what Jesus is doing, he's unzipping the man's suit, and he's saying, this is what you normally perceive with your eyes, but I want to show you the kingdom of God, I want to show you, what I'm saying that it's not about the flesh, it's about the spirit. Now look at the spirit, and Jesus takes this off, and he's showing them, he's glowing, he's radiant, he's whiter than he's like, oh, you see these things coming out of him, and, and it, it, it's it's his face was altered, and his robe became white and glistening, and a lot of things start to happen up here, and he says, Behold, two men walked with Him. Who were who? Moses and Elijah. Those are big, heavy hitters. And it says, Who appeared in glory. So these were also shining figures, if you would. And He spoke of His decease which was, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So it's really powerful. Here's Jesus. He's glowing. He's having this moment. And you're seeing, if you would, that, that, that Moses and Elijah come up to him. And, and I like it. The, the word decease is the same word as departure. And it's one of the same words that you could get the word exodus of. Uh, out of. It was an exodus, and they're speaking to Jesus about His exit, about Him leaving, about Him going to Jerusalem and being crucified. They're comforting Jesus, and they're saying, hey Jesus, you're gonna, your your man flesh is going to be beaten up and tortured and destroyed here in a little bit, and they're consoling, comforting Jesus. It's awesome to see the that the, the, who better to tell you about the exodus than Moses. You have two heavy hitters coming in and saying Jesus is going to be fine, and they're speaking to Him, if you would, and they're trying to to to, to mention it it's Uh, uh, says about his his decease, which was about to be accomplished in Jerusalem. But notice, if you would, but Peter and those with him were what? Were heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, so they're waking up at the end of this whole thing, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. And then it says that, and then uh, it happened as they were departing from him. So you're watching Elijah and Moses start to walk off. Peter's going to turn around and say something stupid, sticks his foot in his mouth and he's going to say, says it was happening in the party that Peter said to Jesus and he goes, "Hey, Master." He says, it's good for us to be here. I like being up on this mountaintop with you. He says, uh, and, to, and he says, and let us make three tabernacles one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And I'm glad it says this in the Bible because we may be misled, but it's going to tell you not knowing what he said. And he's going to turn around and stick his foot in his mouth because he makes this stupid statement about making a tabernacle in the midst of a spiritual experience. And so, if you would, you're seeing here that. That as, as this is going on, Peter quickly Quickly reverts back to a carnal thought and he's missing the spiritual uh, moment and and for for me as as I understand this I can see it's amazing on how spiritual we can be one moment and how quickly a drop of a hat we can go right back into a carnal dumb way of thinking and we can stick our foot in our mouth almost within seconds and you almost want to say Lord, how can I be on cloud nine how can all these wonderful things be happening and it's like you know I, 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 What happened? And I just what came out of my mouth? What was I thinking? And so, if you would, it's it's amazing that several things start to happen here. What Peter's doing wrong, and uh, and you're going to see. Well, God's going to come up and correct him and 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 tell you that's not what I'm saying, Peter. But it's is what he's doing is it's a it's a role reversal. Jesus Jesus is trying to elevate people so that they don't look at the flesh, but he wants to show them the power of the Spirit. And what Peter said in his words and as innocent as they sound, it was a direct challenge to Jesus to go right back into the carnal, fleshly way of life. Let's build a tabernacle. A tabernacle really means a tent. The tabernacle is where... They built it into the temple. The tabernacle, if you would, would be a way of Peter developing and making a, a, a monument to God. What is he saying? He's saying, let's just really make a memorial to God. It's Memorial Day. Memorial Day weekend. Good scripture for the weekend. And uh, uh, what does a memorial do? A memorial always looks backwards. It always looks in hindsight. And what Jesus is trying to get us to do is to focus on the Spirit, and then He's also trying to have us to look forward. And, and Peter immediately says, well, no, let's look backward. Let's make a memorial out of this. Let's build, you know, a tent. Let's make something. Let's erect something. Let's do something with our hands in the midst of something really spiritual. And what Peter, what Jesus is saying is, no, I don't want to have something, you know, physical built here. I'm trying to show you the spiritual things that are happening. And, and as Peter, it, it is, it's, it's, it's so a, a quick flip. It only takes seconds, and he wants to look back. The other problem of what Jesus is is having with this issue is that Peter, by saying he wanted to build a temple, a tabernacle, he's equating Jesus with Moses and Elijah. Hey, you three are the same, and, and it's not that way. Uh, Moses was a great guy, Elijah was a great guy, but Jesus is the Son of God. Uh, there's several things represented by Moses and Elijah. Moses represents the law, Elijah would be the greatest of the prophets and he's usually referenced as one of the prophets. And it's, you know, the law, when it was given by Moses, it says, thou shalt not do this, this, and this. And it says that you better do this, 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 and this as well. So the law is is the standard. It's it's given to us. And then what you see happen, the prophets come up and the prophets turn around and say, well, Moses told you what to do. And guess what? You failed miserably in your attempt. So the prophets are rather harsh and cruel and, and they bring that condemnation as we studied Isaiah, Ezekiel, You you read their words, It's, it's grueling to read. But the Bible doesn't want to leave you with, this is what you're supposed to do and you failed to do it. No, it wants to bring in grace and mercy through Jesus Christ. And as much as it says, this is what you should do, you failed to do it. It says, now here's the solution, Jesus Christ. And it's not on equal footing. the 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 solution is better than the problem. And don't turn around and put all three of them together as just Jesus is just you know another Moses or Elijah. No, 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 no. He's the Son of God, and and he's walking in the fullness of the Spirit. And the Spirit is what's going to give you victory over the other two areas. And so if you would, uh, uh, he, he's making them equal as well. And so if you would, Peter's sticking his foot in his mouth. And it, and at the same time, it says while he was saying this, while while these words are leaving Peter's mouth, it says. Uh, a cloud came and overshadowed them. And they were fearful, and interesting terminology it says, as they entered the cloud. So it's like Peter just opens up his mouth, says something stupid, and all of a sudden you see the fog come rolling in. All of a sudden, you see, you know, it gets dark and dim, and you get that cold chill, and you're like, What happened here, you know? And you can get this idea that all of a sudden this cloud comes in, and all of a sudden a voice came out of the cloud God's voice saying, Hey, this is my beloved son, hear him. Hey, Jesus is different. He's distinct. You listen to Him. This isn't Moses and Elijah time. This is Jesus time. He's making a distinction. And when the voice had ceased, interesting terminology, it's like all of a sudden there's quiet and and God's there. Jesus was found alone, but they kept quiet and no one... Uh, and told no one in those days of any of the things that they had seen. So it's it's amazing. Here they are now. They go up on the mountain. They see this wonderful thing. They realize they make a fool out of themselves. Peter does. And now all of a sudden they go, Oh, gee, I... Uh, they're walking down the, the mountain and they're going, boy, that was, I, I think several things were happening. Uh, I think first and foremost they were realizing that they just stuck their foot in their mouth and after that being corrected by God, you, you kind of are like saying, well, I don't want to say anything else. <laughs> you know, anything out of my mouth is stupid, so you know, better to shut up, right? What's, what's, the, what's the proverb? Uh, better to have them think that uh, you're a fool than to open up your mouth and to prove that you're a fool? And uh, and so Peter might be getting some of that. <laughs> but I think more than anything else is they're looking at the Spirit of God and they're realizing the things that were going on. They're recognizing the size of God. And all of a sudden, things were going on in their lives where they're recognizing this is big. God's big. He's awesome. He's huge. And and when you feel the presence of Him speaking, it, it immediately it put Peter and, and the disciples in, in a place of saying, Lord, you're huge. I think it opened up their, their mind that they were realizing all of a sudden that there's another world around them that exists right there beside them, around them constantly that they were blind to. It kind of gave them that shock value that they were going, wow, I, I, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. And I think they were also realizing that Jesus is very special. I think they got the message. All of a sudden they were going, this guy Jesus is really different. I think that they were kind of shell-shocked and dumb. you got to understand, these are the Disciples this very same disciples that were turning around in the boat and the storm came and all of a sudden as professional fishermen they're seeing the waves coming in and they start crying like little girls saying it's the end it's the end and Jesus turns around and rebuked the the waves in the storm and he says be quiet and it says that they marveled and they're going who is this guy they've already had that lesson then all of a sudden it's the same three people that Jesus brings in to go see this girl and, and they look at, at this girl and they go well she's dead and Jesus goes Goes, no, she's just asleep. And they turned around and laughed at Jesus. I think it was these three disciples that laughed at Jesus and said, come on, you nut, she's dead. Don't you know what dead is? Dead dead. And so they had the second lesson given to them. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Let me show you some things. And these guys were thoroughly impressed. Now they're turning around and they're seeing Jesus unzip the mansuit, suit. All of a sudden, look at the spiritual side. And now they're going... Whoa! And then they can see their own stupidity in the same thing, and how big God is, and now they're turning around and they're saying, "This Jesus, you can. Just, who is this Jesus, dude? I'm telling you, man, he can. He can, you know, raise the dead. He can, you know, you know, calm the sea, and 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 he's got this glowing thing about him, man. He's got the spirit in him, and and I think now they're like. I, 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 don't know, I, I don't know what to say. I'll, I'll just shut up. And, and if you would, uh, sometimes it's best for us just to be quiet, to watch the things of God and to be amazed with Him. Sometimes we are called sometimes to look deep at these things and to be alert, to be awake, to pay closer attention. I love what Hebrews says. The writer of Hebrews, Paul, whoever it was, and he says in chapter two, after explaining the deity of Jesus, he says he says for this reason we must pay much closer attention to the things we have heard. We got to pay attention. We should be alert, lest we we drift away from it. And there is a, a power a, that that we can just drift away. You you, you fall away. I don't know. It's not like it's. sometimes it can be as instantaneous as Peter, but for you and I, we have a tendency to see spiritual things and then it kind of bores us a little bit and then pretty soon we start to become drifting further and further out to sea, like on a little raft. And you don't know where you're at sometimes. You get on your little boat, you're out there on the close to the shore and you could fall asleep and next thing you know you wake up and you're a gazillion miles from any place and you have no idea where the shoreline is anymore. You lost your points of reference. How did that happen? You just drift. Was it quick? No, you drift. And, 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 and the writer of Hebrews is saying, you've got to pay attention. You have to be able to understand what we're doing here. Sometimes as believers we miss so many things because we just fail to pay attention. And Jesus starts screaming home a message here that's very important to us to understand. He says, now it happened, it says, verse 37, on the next day. So they're walking down the hill. They come up to the rest of the group there. And he says, when they had come down from the mountain, that a great multitude met him. Suddenly, a a man from the multitude cried out, saying, Teacher, I implore you. So we've seen so far a lot of people come begging to Jesus. Uh, I think this guy, is uh, uh, to, to use the word implore, is a step beyond begging. How's that? He's begging with intent, please, 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 please. No, I, I need you. He says, teacher, I implore you. Look on my son for... He's my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him and he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth. And so you can just see this poor guy. He's got his son and all of a sudden something demonic just comes over him. He's He's slobbering all over the place. He's falling on the ground. And listen to this. It's important. It says, And it departs from him with great difficulty bruising him. So I find it interesting that this guy, he's been struggling with this problem, a demonic problem. He recognizes that he needs a spiritual solution. He's asking Jesus for spiritual help. And I find it interesting that he's had limited success dealing with this. This kid's been fine. He gets possessed. He's sliving all over the place, thrown to the ground. And somehow or another, they've been able to experience the demon leaving as well. But notice the terminology. It leaves the kid bruised. And it's sad to see that so many times in our life that we can deal with spiritual things and we deal with it on such a small level, we end up dabbling with spiritual things and and we end up getting bruised and beaten and smashed around. And I am amazed at how much we'll tolerate, tolerate putting up with things so long as we can get some limited success. But you know what? That's not the way Jesus wants us to live our life. He doesn't want us to go through life always being bruised and beaten. I believe He's calling us to a place of victory, a place of saying there can be more in your life for things that are happening, and it can work successfully. And notice this guy says, So I implored your disciples uh, to cast it out, but they could not. Now, I don't think that this quite included Peter, James, and John. If Jesus had His twelve disciples, I think there's the other nine that were left behind that didn't go to the mountaintop. And so this guy was trying to find Jesus. He brings him over to his other disciples and says, Man, can you cast out this demon, if you would? And these guys are saying, Ah, you know, we can't quite do this. They're they're hitting some limited success and they're not able to deal with this as well either. But please understand what Jesus is saying. He's getting rather upset with that statement. Jesus answered and He said, Oh, faithless and perverse generation. So... He's speaking to the other disciples that should have known better, and he's calling them faith, faithless. And he's talking and he's calling them perverse. If I was to turn around and to call you a pervert, right, the immediate connotation is that you would be a, a sexual deviant. Sex is something that's good. God gave us sex, it's supposed to be a gift from the Lord but there are people that can pervert it. They take it and they twist it around into something that's sinful and wicked. So, if I think that you're spiritually perverted, God has given us gifts and talents and power, and many people can take the things that God has given us and pervert it. They turn it inside out. Uh, out and they, they, they turn it into something wicked and sinful. And Jesus is going up to the disciples, I believe He's speaking to, and He's saying, what is wrong with you guys? What's wrong with you? You're perverted. You're, you're, you're doing something wrong. You have no... Key word there is faith. And then He turns around and he says, how long will I be with you and bear with you. Can you hear Jesus? He's rebuking them. This is nowhere near a compliment. He's not being polite. He's disgusted with His disciples. And He's saying, what is wrong with you? Well, how, how long do I going to put up with these nuts that can't figure out the basics of Christianity, the basics of spirituality? He says, bring your son here. And as He was still coming, the demon threw Him down and convulsed Him. They get slobbering all over the place. And Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit. You can almost see it. He says, Shut up! Cast them out! He healed the child, gave him back to his father. And notice, if you would, they were all amazed at the majesty of God. These guys are flipping out and they're saying, I can't believe this. He says, But while everyone marveled at all the things which Jesus did, He said to His disciples, Let these words sink down into your ears. I can't think of a clearer way to say, hello, pay attention, I'm trying to teach you something, Uh, can this sink into your thick skulls? It says, let these words sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man is about to be portrayed into the hands of men. But they didn't understand this saying, and it was hidden from them, so that they did not perceive it And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. They're going, I ain't asking him no more questions. I ask a question, I'm going to look like the dork here. So just shut up. Just, you know, we'll pray about this for a while. And they're like, what is Jesus telling us? What's going on? And he's asking us to think about things. And obviously, Jesus is saying, first and foremost, that the Son of Man is going to be portrayed. He's saying, my man's suit is going to be ripped apart, torn off and destroyed and beaten. But it means nothing because the spiritual side of me is going to overcome. And nothing can touch the Spirit that dwells inside of Christ. It's going to be resurrected and He has power over the flesh. And so, obviously, Jesus is saying that. But there's another message that He's saying in this. He's turning around and He's saying, hey, I'm not going to be with you for forever. Of course, he's with us through spirit. But he's like, you know what? I just went up to the hill for three days, Uh, whatever. I'm praying, and I come back, and you guys have missed it already. You guys can't understand the basics. And we have to understand this in context, that the disciples were already given the power and the authority. Luke chapter 9, verse 1. Last week's message kicked it off. Same chapter. They had the power and the authority over the demonic realm. Now, all of a sudden, where you're seeing that there's the power and the authority. Yet Eight days later, you guys can't tie your shoes again. And, and Jesus is sitting down here and says, how long do I got to put up with this faithless, perverted generation of people? And, and you can hear his disgust. And, and sometimes with inside of us, there, there is this ability to fail to execute things that God has given us to do. <clears throat> we don't, comes down to the basics, have faith. It's having faith to do what is necessary. You can have all the power, you can have all the authority, but if it's not executed with faith, mixed with faith, you have nothing. Faith is what enables, what empowers. Faith is believing in God. Faith, by simple definition, is taking the things that you have and applying them in day-to-day use. You're not just having a promise of the sweet by-and-by. You're turning around and saying, I'm going to apply that, use that, not give up on that, and take that. Now, please, if you would, it's what we're going to term a, a trigger point. You have to have a point in your life that you can turn around and pull the trigger and use what you have. You can have a gun. You can look at the charging rhinoceros coming at you. You can point the gun right at them. But unless you pull the trigger, you're not going to get any results. And what we have sometimes as believers is that we have the power, we have the authority, but it's not mixed with the faith. You have to take your beliefs and put them into action. Now, notice if you would, if we break down this story, there's three different things that God wants to do in your life that is going to enable you, empower you to pull the trigger. God wants to get you to the point where you move. Obviously, one of the things that we can look at that motivates us to move is pain. This man looked at his son, saw him foaming at the mouth, screaming all over the place, bruised badly, and he is begging, imploring Christ. And he's saying, please, I'm coming to you with faith. Be believing that you can do something because I'm in pain. This man's level of pain passed his threshold in order to get him to act. So he pulls the trigger and says, Jesus, please. Pain is a very effective tool that works in our lives to motivate us to be on our knees begging for God. God also uses pressure in our lives. God, the cloud, speaking, This is my son! You get the pressure coming at you. Okay! I, I hear the message. It's whack upside the head. All right, God, I hear you. I'm going to start doing what you say. And God can effectively use pressure in our lives. Just like any child. You're trying to discipline a child. You're trying to get your child to be the best he can be. You want to turn around and you may have to whack the kid upside the head. You may have to forcibly enforce some things. And and we're getting our child to do the right thing. But what God prefers, what God wants to do, he wants to use praise to entice us. He likes to go up and he wants to show us the easy way first. First, Jesus shows us the power of the Spirit. And you would like to hear the story that it would be written this way Jesus goes up and shows everybody that the man's suit is taken off and that the spiritual man is there. They get this. whoo-hoo-hoo-hoo. They turn around and they see a problem when they walk down the hill and they tackle it because they now have great faith because they've seen things. It's nice to see sometimes when you can have a child and there are people that will respond to praise effectively. When you go up and compliment somebody and you say, you know, you're really good at that. You got your boy and say, man, you're really good at skateboarding. Mom, my dad thinks I'm good at skateboarding. I'm going to go out and work twice as hard now in order to be the best skateboarder out there. My dad thinks I'm great. And praise should be an effective way to motivate us to continue to go forward. But unfortunately, it's so ineffective in our lives at times where we know the truth, we can believe that it's true, but we fall back to sleep and we slumber and we fail to pull ourselves out. God first tries praise. Then He knocks it up a little bit with pressure. Sometimes we're stuck in the midst of our pain until we're going to start to move and get to that trigger point in order for us to go into action. And what Jesus is clearly saying, He's going, why can't you do this that's right in front of you? You should understand this as a believer. You have all the power. You have all the authority. Why are you not enabling it? And you can see the frustration that is screaming through in Jesus. And He wants us, listen to this, He wants you and I to be effective as Christians. He wants us to be successful in our battles with spiritual forces of darkness. And we wallow in pain. We wallow in anguish. And then we say, God, why can't I have any victory in my life? Why can't I do anything? Because we we cease to take the truth of the Bible, listen to this, and apply them in our lives. That's all. Oh, that's, that's fine for over there, but i got a real problem right now. Okay, i got a hundred bucks and i got a guy calling me saying he's going to break my legs unless I give him a hundred bucks. I don't need the Jesus stuff right now. I need to get a gun to keep myself protected from the guy who's going to break my legs. Really? you got to put your trust in that pistol, but not in Jesus? Really? What a bold statement. Jesus, Jesus wants us to get the message and say that he's applicable in every situation in our life. Peter got the message. Open with uh, me to uh, 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 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to read a few verses. You might want to turn there. Forgive me, uh, I'm going to quote out of the New American Standard. Uh, I know you guys are reading the New King James Version, but I just love the New American Standard for a few lines in here. He says, though, Peter... Peter who was what? Up on the mountain with Jesus. Peter who got the rebuke. Peter that wanted to turn around and to grow in the Lord. He says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So he says, How are you doing? And he says, Seeing that His divine, divine is a word for God, His divine power has granted to us what? <clears throat> Everything pertaining to life and Godliness. So, you can have everything you ever want, everything you're ever going to need. Sorry, we're not on a wish list to go get a new Cadillac out of this. Seeing that His divine power has granted to us every, everything pertaining to life and godliness. Through what? Through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. He says, For by these He has granted to us His precious And magnificent promises. So hey, we got a whole bunch of promises out there. You got everlasting life. You can have power over over the demonic. You got healing. You got wonderful promises that are given to us. He says, by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them, by them, you may become what a partaker of the divine nature. Did you just hear that? To be a partaker of the divine nature, the divine nature, the godlike characteristics. We can have a part in that. We can take part in God. That's powerful. Through His promises. By how? By having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So we're not going to do things according to the worldly way of lusting after things. He says, Now for this very reason, also, underline this word in your Bible, applying all diligence in your what? Faith. So you take your faith and you apply it. When you apply your faith, you're going to receive and you're going to be having a supply of moral excellence. Morals, you're going to do the right thing. You're going to do the right thing well. And in your moral excellence, you're going to see a chain event here. You're going to get knowledge. And in your knowledge, you're going to get self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly kindness, here's what it all wraps up to, love. So, he's telling us that if we, apply, if we apply the truths of God, we should be having love towards one another. And underline this verse in your Bible, verse 8, it says, "...for if these qualities are yours," so if you're growing in love and are increasing, so you have love, but every single day it's getting stronger. And now you can look at yourself and give yourself a litmus test and say, am I growing towards Christ? Am I more godly today than I was yesterday? Am I more full of love than I was yesterday? Do I have more self-control? Or are you backsliding? Going in the reverse direction. Peter says, if you have these qualities, and all of us will have a little bit of love, all of us have a little bit of brotherly kindness, but you want to be growing. We may not be perfect, but we want to be improving. Improving. He says, therefore, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, and I like this, they render, to render means to cash in, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities, so if you're not growing in Christ, if you're lacking these qualities, you're blind, not good, or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Now, go back and remember your baptism and, and remember that you let the old man die and the new man came up out of the water. And you have to remember that you're somebody new in Christ. So, there, listen to this. He says, verse 10 Therefore, brethren, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. And we talked about this and so what a true disciple was the last four or five weeks. We said a true disciple was somebody who can ask the question. Sense of curiosity. You're not slumbering, you're not sleeping. We said, secondly, that you had to be called and be able to hear the call of God. We said, thirdly, a true disciple is somebody that has faith to believe. You're not going to mock and ridicule the things of God and laugh at Jesus when He says He can raise the dead girl. And then we said, fourthly, last week, that you have to bear fruit. And we use this verse, and, and we have to be diligent to make certain about God's calling and choosing us. Are you a Christian? It's a fundamental question. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Are you born again? If you're not born again, all you got is your man's suit and you're not going to accomplish anything in your life. If you're born again, you've come to a place where you can say, Jesus Christ, I'm a sinner. I repent. Change of mind, change of heart. I need you in my life and I'm asking you to plant the Spirit into my life. Hence, you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. Now that you are filled with the Holy Spirit you understand these things, you can sit down there and, and practice these things. You can make certain about his, his calling and choosing you. If you're a spiritual person, you're not going to be trusted in the flesh. You can be trusted in the spiritual side. For as long as you, what? Underline this word, practice these things, you will never stumble. So, you need to practice something as you're putting it into application. He says, for in this way, the entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be abundantly supplied to you. So if you're taking the promises of God, that you have the power and the authority over darkness, and you apply them into your life, you'll have a sense of confidence to boldly enter into the kingdom of God. It will be abundantly supplied to you. So Peter says, Therefore I will always be ready to remind you of these things. Excuse me for nagging, but I'm going to nag, says Peter even though you already know them and have been established in the truth which is present in you. You should know these things, but I'm going to tell you again, says Peter. I consider it right. He says, as long as I am in this earthly dwelling to stir you up by way of reminder. So Peter was to be crucified, we know. He, some people say that he was crucified upside down because he didn't want to be crucified like Jesus. He wasn't worthy of that. And he knows that his death is imminent and he's turning around and he says, I'm in this dwelling, this earthly dwelling, this... As Paul says in Second Corinthians, this tabernacle, this tent that is going to be shed, my mansuit is going to be ripped off, says Peter, and I'm going to be left with the spirit, and as so long as I've got this mansuit and I can write you a letter, I'm going to nag you one more time that you understand these things. I consider it right as long as I'm in this earthly dwelling to stir you up, kick you in the pants by way of reminder. Knowing that the laying aside of my earthly dwelling, the mansuit, is eminent as also our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will also be diligent that at any time after my departure you will be able to call these things to mind. One more page. He says, for, uh, verse 16, For we did not follow, and he says, cleverly devised tales. We didn't just make this up sitting around having coffee one night and thought about, hey, let's create a new religion so we can get some money. He says, we didn't follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he says, listen to this, we were eyewitnesses. We saw this stuff firsthand. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Peter's telling us. He goes, I heard the voice. I know what was going on. I saw something. I saw the spiritual side and I'm not going to start to be deceived into thinking fleshly again. I'm going to keep my eyes and my mind focused on the things of God through the Spirit. It's the Spirit suit that is going to wear well. And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were where? On the holy mountain. He's talking about the Mount of Transfiguration. Luke chapter 9. And I love this. He says, "...so that we have the prophetic word made more sure, to which you do well to what? Pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts." And I love this. Peter is turning around he says, "...we have the prophetic word made more sure." So, there's the prophetic word. Promises that are given to you and I. We have everlasting life. We have power over the demonic realm. We can, you know, heal. We can do wonderful things that Jesus has promised you and I. Most of us don't walk in those things because we fail to pay attention because we don't understand the things of the Spirit. We lack faith. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing of the Word of God. So, if you... Read your word. How about this? If you're in prayer, disciples were called up to the mountain to pray and they fell asleep in prayer. If we activate our faith, we can start to have not just a promise of God, but it almost as if a promise which seems to be intangible. But when we activate our faith and we see it in use, it almost becomes concrete to you and I so that we know the more perfect Word of God. We understand that that God wants to do wonderful things in our life, that it would be made more sure in our hearts and in our minds. But most of us, we wallow, we're bruised, we have limited success in our life because we fail to pull the trigger. God wants you to see the power that you have in your life. He wants you not just to look at the man suit, but to see the spiritual side that happens inside of every born-again believer. You've got to shed your skin there. You've got to start to look at that spiritual side of life and you need to start working, applying, using that. Jesus is looking, and I would hope and pray He doesn't look at you and I and say, you pervert. I've given you something and you turned it into something filthy. You faithless generation. I don't want Jesus to look at me and say, how long do I got to put up with Dave Brown? Uh, these are meant, these are stinging words to kick us in the pants. Peter is telling you, I will kick you in the pants as long as you can because he understands of all people that we can be so quick within seconds to turn around and to revert right back into the flesh. You ever have that? You walk out of church oh, happy days, we're praising the Lord, wonderful things are going on. We don't even get out to the asphalt. We're still on the concrete sometimes, and you can see, bam, we go right back into the flesh and everything just what happened there? Flesh comes out. And, and, and we have to diligently apply the truth in our lives so that we can develop a, a concrete feeling to have a more sure word a more sure prophetic word in our life to take the truth and start to apply it and I'm sorry it's it's amazing to see how many how few would apply these things and how many fail and it's amazing to see one Christian after another to say well you know man I've been bruised man I have been beaten and that's not what the Lord wants in your life He wants to give you that place where you come to the Lord apply these truths and that you can have that sweet victory of being Rid of the demonic things in your life. Jesus is screaming at us and He's saying, there's so much more to life. Wake up. Pay attention. Don't drift away. You understand these things. As a believer, if you understand ABC of Jesus Christ, that I was a sinner, now that I'm saved, I've got the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of me. The mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life. We understand that's ABC of Christianity. That's what makes you a Christian. And if you understand that, then you take it, you apply it, and you continue to work with it but how many truths do we have? And then we sit down and go, I don't know what's going on in my life. I don't know where I am. I'm hurt and I'm mad at God. Ah, oh, brother. Don't, don't miss the promises of God that are being portrayed. It's Memorial Day. It's a day that you can say, I want to make a change in my life. I want to come to the place of repentance. And if you've been wallowing, struggling, struggling, Burying your head in the sand, it's a great time to turn around and to say, Lord, it's time for me to wake up. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sticking my foot in my mouth time after time. Lord, I haven't been able to conquer my problems. I need you to come into my life. I need you to make a change. And I promise you that God will start to do wonderful things in your life. And a promise is just a promise, but there's a long string of people. You can just talk to some of the people that were baptized last week and they can tell you, wow, I stepped out in faith. I was unashamed of the gospel. I denied myself and Jesus Christ has done wonderful things in my life. And if you've been a Christian for more than, oh, a week, you should be able to have a time in your life when you can say, I know the sweetness of God in my life and I want that moment back. Lord, I want to come back to that place. I want to let go. And if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord, if you've never come to that place of letting go, I beg you, I implore you, let go of your life. Trust the Lord Jesus. Be converted and be saved. You have to come to that point where you can say, enough Lord, I'm letting go and I'm trusting you. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, You're an awesome, 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 awesome God. Father, and I pray that we'd listen to your words here today, that they would sink deep into our thick skulls, and that we'd be smart enough to listen, Father. I pray, Father, that we'd respond to your praise as you have given us, Father, the free will gift of your promises, and that we would apply them, Father, without the pressure and without the pain. Father, I pray that uh, we would change our hearts and our minds here today, Father, to serve you, to take the truths that we have and to put them into our day-to-day life, to put them into our finances, to put them into our family struggles, to put them into every aspect of our life, on the job and with our friends and late at night, Father, and when nobody else is watching us, what we're looking at, Father. I pray that You, Father, would do a mighty work in our lives, that we would stand strong, that the kingdom of heaven is not for tomorrow, Father, it's for today. Father, do a mighty work here. As we open up our hearts, Father, As we give you our lives, Father, we pray that you would make us, Father, to be productive, useful, abundant, Father, not wallowing in pain and bruise. Father, do a new work, a mighty work in our lives as only you can, Father. We thank you, we praise you, and we give you all the glory, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.